Good morning, Storyline, and Happy New Year. It's so good to be together. Oh my gosh. Um, maybe I should start with this. My name is Mike Gathright. <laughs> it's been a while. Oh my goodness. I uh, ended 2022 uh, with just a horrible month. Horrible month. I had COVID and I was so sick. Um, then I got better for about a day and I got the worst cold of my life. And then I got better for about a day and I got influenza A. And it was just one thing after another, worst flu of my life. So in 18 years, storyline, I've missed three speaking dates, and two of them were last month. And so thanks to Paul and to Jill who filled in for me. Um, so I'm really super excited to be here, to be back, to see everyone. And really just to be, to be honest, I'm super excited to be allowed out of my bedroom. And so that's been the first time in about a month. So what kind of year did you have in 2022? I know for many of us that it was way better than 2020 and 2021, um, and you know, that's to be expected, I think. Uh, the bar was pretty low, right? Google's year in search seems to bear that out. Google every year produces that video, and we show up pretty much the first Sunday of every year. Um, and they reported that people seem to be with their searches more hopeful, more optimistic, more forward-looking than the last two years. But like, again, like I said, the bar was really low, right? Uh, but for me personally, and, and, and maybe it was just because I battened down the hatches during the pandemic, and then in its immediate aftermath, you know, and then everything that Storyline was going through at the park, and then the solarium, and then and back here, um, I just kind of just plowed through those two years. But in 2022 ended up being a much more difficult year for me than the two years before. Um, I think being that sick, certainly, and for a month I was sick, that uh, was a real wake-up call for me and a reminder that it's so important that for us to be together, and it's so important that when we're together that we enjoy our time and we enjoy each other and that our Sunday mornings are infused with hope and joy and optimism, but it also reminded me that it has to be the kind of joy and the kind of hope that grows out of the willingness to acknowledge that not all of us are in a good place on any given day, week, or season of life. The last few months of 2022, before I got sick, I did too many funerals. I met with too many families in crisis. I heard from and interacted with too many people who are facing like very, very challenging year this year. And you talk about keep searching. There are a lot of folks here in this room this morning, I'm sure, who are like really searching for how do we move forward this year, facing what's in front of us, you know, with hope and with joy and, and with some meaning. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's really... Uh, the challenge before us is how do we come together, be together? How are we a community of hope and joy and meaning that acknowledges that about real life? You know, every year after Christmas, there's all kinds of lists that come out, the best dressed of the year, the, the worst fails of the year, the best books, uh, in the worst movies. One article I read um, this, uh, that week after Christmas was about the word of the year. There's some publication that puts out the new word of the year every year, and this year for 2022, the word was permacrisis. 
And, you know, it's difficult to argue with that, right? So a majority of Americans now report in our new normal, this post-pandemic new normal, that life just feels much less predictable, stable, and secure than it did before. And, you know, there are, there are psych, psych, psychologists who say we may never go back to feeling the way we felt before. And maybe it was a mirage in the first place, right? But still, we're not going to go back to it. And so if you're not going through a personal crisis, then it doesn't take much to look at the state of the world, the state of our country, and look out on the horizons and see some pretty ominous storm clouds. Now, in spite of all that, or really, to be honest, because of all that, I'm, I'm really so excited about what God is inviting us into as a community and what we have planned together for 2023. We are going to take some deep dives into some, I think, really important topics like reinventing religion, objections to the life of faith, questions that God asks us. And I think that we're going to do that in a way that all at once celebrates the incredible gift that life is and acknowledges the severe challenges that it also presents. So to kick that off, I thought it might be a good idea here on our first Sunday together in 2023 to ask a very specific question. And it goes something like this. How can we move forward with hope and joy in a world, maybe in, even in our own personal lives, that can so often feel like a permacrisis? Now, there is a very short passage in the Bible that seems to me is all about this. And I'd like to invite us this morning as we look at this short passage to consider that maybe this episode, this story, might be a good way to frame 2023. So the context is fairly early in Jesus's public life. Um, his popularity is still growing. It hasn't reached its apex, but more and more people are, have, have heard of him. They're seeking him out. They want to see this guy. They want to hear from this guy. They're starting to follow him around. And um, the biggest problem his followers have right now, his closest followers, was like, what do we do with all these people? Like, we're a smash hit. How do we manage all this popularity and success? And then right in the middle of that, okay, right when things are doing, just taking off, when it looked like nothing could stop them, Jesus does the most surprising thing. He says to his followers, um, hey, let's, let's leave all this behind and sail to the other side. Let's get in this boat here and want to sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the other side of the sea was not friendly to Jewish people. It wasn't a Jewish area, and it certainly was not primed for an explosion of popularity like their side of the lake was, like, like they were experiencing. So the question is, like, why sail to the other side? What in the world is Jesus doing, and why? Well, this is what the Bible says. Late that day, Jesus said to them, let's go across to the other side. They took him in the boat as he was. Other boats came along. A huge storm came up. Waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow. They roused him, saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? Awake now, he told the wind to pipe down. And the, he said to the sea, quiet, 
settle down. The wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Where is your faith? They were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway, they asked. Wind and sea at his beck and call. So the first thing that like jumps out to me in this story is that Jesus's power is very, very real. Now, you know that when we're uh, together, we often emphasize the humanity of Jesus when we're together. And I think rightly so, because God coming to us and God coming for us as a human being, as an infant at Christmas, like we just celebrated at Christmas, that's a totally unique story and angle on God. And it's also an absolutely critical piece to Jesus' story and how and why I think that the good news of God's grace can not only change our lives, but change us. It is the humanity of Jesus that not only makes God's grace relatable, because we see it in a human being. We see it being lived out in a real human life. So it makes it relatable and it makes it re relevant. It also makes it available and accessible to us. But it also tells us so much about what God is like that God would come to us like that. But the, at this point in the story, as Jesus' fame is rising, as everything seems like smooth sailing to, to the disciples, right, to his first followers, they were crystal clear on his humanity. That, that was perfectly evident for everyone to see. But to move forward, with hope and joy, even into a crisis, well, maybe it's difficult to do that if we're not trusting in a God with power. Now, how can we trust in that? If you're like me, you read this story and you're like, oh boy, and this seems out there, right? How, so how can we trust in that, that, that God's grace, his, oh, the way that he um, makes his grace available to us. Um, it's the, the soft, gentle, approachable kindness and goodness that's so evident in the life of Jesus. How can we trust that it comes with this enormous power? You know, in modern fiction, it's um, not unusual to see unnecessary details included in the text of a story. We're so used to it now, we don't even... It, we don't even notice it. Authors, all the time, they will include unnecessary details because it authenticates their writing. It makes them, their stories feel more real because when real people tell real stories about something that they really witnessed, we include all kinds of details that don't really end up mattering to the, sto to the story. They're kind of asides. We just don't know it at the time. I learned this lesson when I was in Los Angeles, when I lived in Los Angeles, and one of my Young Life kids, Chad Cunningham, invited me to go with him to a coffee uh, shop. This was like 1989 or 1990, and we, he took me to this coffee shop in Koreatown, okay? And remember, you know, this is L.A., it's Hollywood. And we get there, and there were probably half a dozen people there typing away on these newfangled portable computers. Okay, and kids, that's what they looked like right there <laughs> at this time. And you know, we were amazed because you could put like a 20-page paper on there before it started to like 
let off smoke or something, you know? So um, I asked Chad, I go, what are all these people doing? There'd be clumps of people just talking and then just dispersed throughout the coffee shop. There's these lonely one person just at the thing, just typing away. And Chad's the kind of kid that would just plop down and just introduce himself to anybody. He'd been to this coffee shop many times. He basically had met all these people. So he tells me this fascinating story. It's, and apparently it's an open secret in LA. I didn't know this. They were all screenwriters. They were all authors. And what they were doing was eavesdropping on all of the conversations going around them. Someone would be having a conversation about, I think I'm going to break up with my boyfriend. And they would title it that and then just type that down. Someone else says, oh, my mom's driving me crazy. And they, would, they, would, and they were just eavesdropping because they were going to haul out parts of these conversations to put into their screenplays because real-life conversations have just the right amount of unnecessary details. And that's the hardest thing to write. Nothing will ruin a good movie and a good plot like bad dialogue. And that's where they get this really realistic dialogue from. Now, here's the thing. In the ancient world, that's not how stories were written. When you read the Odyssey or the Iliad or the legend of Hercules, you don't get things like we see in this story in the Bible, like other boats were with them or his head was on a pillow. And here's why you don't see those in ancient made-up stories because they don't push the plot along. But in this account, in the Bible, there's all kinds of random details that are there. And this happens all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the biographies of Jesus' life. And there can only be one reason. This isn't a story. It's not a story, it's an eyewitness account. And there are no, as in zero examples, of fictional stories, myths and legends from the ancient world and ancient literature that do this. Only the Gospels do this as this really this precursor to what is going to become modern fiction, the way all of our writers write now. The point is the miracles of Jesus, the parts of his story that point to his deity, that point to his incredible power, they may be hard for us to believe, and myself included, but the Bible is not shy about saying they are true, like they actually really happened. And if we're going to face our real life, hoping for the hope that the grace of God can provide us, enjoying the joy of God's love and care that, that it can provide us, only trusting in Jesus' humanity well, maybe that's not going to get us there. Maybe that won't get us to the other side. Remember, this was Jesus' idea to get to the other side. You know, where things are going to be harder was his idea. And on the way to, you know, from leaving this comfortable place, going to the other side, on the way, they sail right into a storm. So yes, Jesus comes to us and he comes for us as a helpless infant, but we can't miss that he's also the God that wants to take us somewhere. Something much bigger is going on here. Something much better is at work in our lives when we let God into our boat. Apparently the life of faith isn't just like 
this pleasure cruise. So the power of Jesus is real. That's the first thing that we, that we realize here. And, and more than that, it is like power. It's, it's, it's real power. And that's, I think, what this is teaching us. And keep in mind, for these experienced fishermen, for them to be this scared, it had to be one heck of a storm. They were out on this lake all the time. And they were clearly in fear for their lives. And notice how Jesus calms this storm. It's really amazing. There's no ritual. There's no incantation. He doesn't, like, crack his knuckles and get, you know, stretch out a little bit, you know? He doesn't have to burn some incense. There's no fanfare at all. In fact, the literal translation of what he says to this storm is, shut up. That's, shut up, stay shut up. That's what he says. And not only did the wind die down, which, you know, if you've been on the lake in a storm, that could be a coincidence. The winds die down suddenly. But you know what doesn't die down suddenly when the wind dies down? It's the waves. They hang out for a long time. But the sea calmed down as well. The waves died, and the water became as calm as glass. This was nothing for Jesus. It didn't wear him out. He isn't spent. He isn't depleted or in need of recovery. You know, when we bear down, when I bear down and do something like, like, oh, man, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to get off the couch to go get these nachos. Like, this is going to be something, right? Like... There's a recovery need, like we need a minute, give me a minute, right? But not Jesus. Shut up. Stay shut up. And then peace and stillness. I've talked about this before. Uh, I am a terrible sleeper, and uh, it really gets me into trouble sometimes. And one of the things that I've had to admit my, to myself, especially the last month, is that it basically comes from anxiety. Now, I don't experience it the way that I would think of anxiety. So what happens is I wake up really early in the mornings, and uh, I'm just so excited to start the day, and I can't wait to get into like my life. And I'm so I'm so grateful for that. I know that there are seasons of times when, when not everyone feels that way when they wake up, but here's the problem: my body and my brain they don't like really differentiate between that kind of what I think of as energy and anxiety. And so I end up just losing sleep and it adds up over time. And you get sick for a month apparently once in a while when that happens. But my issue is, and maybe you know this feeling, often in my journey with God, it, he points me in a direction and sometimes we sail into hard times. I'm, I'm learning that. I think we probably all are. But sometimes... The storm is going on in me. It's not out there. It's in me. And I don't have the power to calm it. Like, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. We need to trust in God's power, in God's shut up, and maybe leave the storms to him. I've got to say, you're looking older. I am older. Got a letter from your wife. She writes me pretty regular, keeping me up on the family news. Didn't know there was any. Told me you're quitting. You want a cup? 
Appreciate it. How fresh is that coffee? I generally make a fresh pot every week, even if there's some left over. That man that shot you died in prison? Angola. Yeah. What did you done? He'd have been released. Oh, I don't know. Nothing. Wouldn't be no point in it. Kind of surprised to hear you say that. Well, all the time you spend trying to get back what's been took from you, more is going out the door. After a while, you just have to try to get a tourniquet on it. Your granddad never asked me to sign on as a deputy. Loretta tells me you're quitting. How come you're doing that? I don't know. I feel overmatched. I always figured when I got older, God would sort of come into my life somehow. He didn't. I don't blame him. Surprising him, I'd have the same opinion of me that he does. You don't know what he thinks. What you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. Can't stop what's coming. They ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity.
life become and maybe for you it's something that's just appeared out of nowhere in your life like this sudden storm that's just come up out of nowhere and, and maybe for you the enemy is more of the storm within what Jesus is I think trying to show us here is that none of this is a match for him he's not overmatched his power is real his power is absolute but too often and I think modern life just encourages the, this so much with all of our gadgets and doodads and all of the increased conveniences that we have. Too often we think that our life comes from the power that we generate. Like we think that, you know, metaphorically, that we make the wind blow, we make the sun shine, that we can both protect and provide the smooth sailing of life. Like if we just have our act together. And Jesus is like a nice passenger to have on our boat, really handy for some advice once in a while. Uh, but, you know, that's not going to get us to the other side. It's just not. And I have to believe that that's part of what's going on with Jesus and his disciples here. They've sailed this sea a million times and, and never with him. But now it's like, what's going on? You know, in his new book, um, 4,000 Weeks, a Time Management for Mortals, Oliver Berkman writes this, the technologies that we use to try to get on top of everything always fail us in the end because they increase the size of the everything which we're trying to get on top of. I've been there. How about this? Let your impossible standards crash to the ground and then pick up a few meaningful tasks from the rubble and get started on them today. Jesus' power is real. His power is absolute because it is divine. And that means that we don't have to find ways to navigate the storms of life on our own. Our survival isn't about our skill, our ingenuity, our productivity, or even living up to our own impossible standards. As much as anything, I think what we see here in this story, in this account, is in this, in this little boat, in this big storm, is the compatibility between the compassionate power of God and crisis. Like those things can actually go together. God's power and a crisis. No, remember this. This is what his followers said. Don't you care that we're about to drown? 
Let me translate. Here's what they're really saying. Wait a second. God, we thought if we let you in our boat, it'd be like safe. Like, we thought this would be like smooth sailing, sun in our face, wind at our back. What is going on? Like, that's what's supposed to happen, right? We're having all the success and comfort on this side of the lake. You want to go to that side of the lake, it must only be because it's even better. Like, more comfortable, easier. We didn't know that. Let's go. See, our instinct is always that caring and compassion are the same as comfort. I love seeing this in newly engaged couples. My son and just got engaged, and it's just so fun to see him with his fiance, Carly. We love her so much. She's fantastic. Um, we're not so as sure about him, but we absolutely do love her. And so, but one of the first things that I ask couples, if I ever do premarital counseling with them, is uh, like, share your story. Like, how did we get here? How did the three of us end up here? Well, you two are thinking about getting married, right? And the stories are the best. I mean, I wish I had one of those laptops to write these down. So they're interesting, they're funny, they're always touching, and then I do my best to hide what, I don't know if it's a smirk or a twinkle in my eye, when these stories end with the inevitable, we're just perfect for each other, you know? <laughs> so delusional. <laughs> It's just hysterical, you know. Sometimes Lisa will be with me and she's like, don't ruin this for them. Like, let them think that, right? Of course, what we know in real life is that perfect or true intimacy always reveals in time, always reveals in time that caring and compassion are not always the same as comfortable, right? When... when a relationship is going somewhere when the growth and the transformation of real people are at stake to get to the other side to move from here to there well that always pushes us out of our comfort zone we've all heard this and I found this really cool um, chart that kind of explains it a little bit better in ways I haven't but all growth happens outside of our comfort zone we know that's true. And we do this with each other early in romantic relationships. And I think we make this same miscalculation with God. Our instinct is always, you know, the power of care and compassion always goes together with our comfort. Uh, you know, what we want right now. All smooth sailing. It reminds me of the lesson that young parents learn, right? Like when their kids are little. Did you ever, like Christmas just happened. So I think we probably, if you've had kids, you've all been in, we've all been in this situation where it's like that hard to find gift, but we're going to do it because we love them so much. You know, you know, in my day, it was Beanie Babies or Cabbage Patch Doll. Not that I wanted those. It was for my sister, okay? And I'm dating myself. So a, a new PlayStation or an iPad pod phone or whatever, okay? And you do what you have to do you wait in line you go get this present you put it under the tree they open it and instead of gratitude they're upset because it's the wrong color or something right well at some point love capital L has to say no no when love is accused of not loving because we didn't get the whole world our flavor in our color you know just the way we wanted Love has to resist that. We know that instinctually. We do it with our spouses. 
which by the way is what makes my wife perfect for me. Thank you, honey. Um, but it's, it's, it's not only that they comfort us, it's that they know how and when to push us past our comfort zone. So for example, I'd never leave my basement if it wasn't for my wife. So thank you, thank you, Lisa. But good parents do this for their children too. Like even when, when the kids are very clear, this is what I want right now. Parents know something. They know things about their children, about life, and about the future that children don't. And that's why love often looks like discomfort. It can often feel like a storm. And so it is with a good and compassionate and caring God and an all-powerful God. Sometimes the only way to get from here to there, to get from our side to God's side, is to sail straight through a storm. And that may bring us something, that may bring out something in us or about us that we otherwise wouldn't have faced. Again, and Oliver Berkman in his book on 4,000 hours says, 4,000 weeks, I'm sorry, the entirety of human suffering can be boiled down to this effort. To it's to resist paying attention to the way things are actually going in life because we wish they were going differently. Now, he may be overstating that a little bit, but I think he has a point. It's like if the storms of life are not caused by our own unwillingness to see things as they are, to see ourselves as we really are, then what I think this story is showing us is that God will use the storms of life to reveal those things to us about us. In AA, I think they put it this way. God refuses to waste our suffering. He refuses to waste our suffering. Here, I think, is what we can trust about Jesus and what he's demonstrating for us in this little boat in this great big storm. If something has made its way into our life, if the storm cloud gathers and we pray like crazy that it's gonna scoot by us and it doesn't, it's like a direct hit. Even if it's awful and horrible, even if we're taking on water, sinking in like life-threatening danger, that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. God is still at work. He is still with us. He is still in our boat, and he's up to something good. His caring and his compassion are still for us. They just may be beyond our ability to see and understand in the moment. You know, in my experience, the folks who get this, the people that have taught this to me, are the people who are truly in life and death storms. I met with a young couple just before the holidays whose one-year-old son was killed in a tragic accident. I spent hours with them in awe of what God has already done in them in this devastating storm. 
a dear friend of mine is in the middle of a storm and his wife has cancer and of course he's he's just reeling from it and he recently wrote this to me i hope there will come a day when wisdom becomes my superpower and i can lean back and deliver faith rich words that will astound my grandchildren probably not you know better than i that this journey is often a trail of tears if you search for fairness or even logic, it's often futile. I don't understand this life. I think the pain is the romantic edge that we traverse like a tightrope. Too great and it destroys us. Without it, we lose empathy and gratitude. So wise. So beautiful. Another friend in a life and death battle sent this to me. So much of life is how we respond to it. We can find light and peace in most situations. Yet another friend sent this to Lisa recently. She's in a life and death battle herself. I'm still reeling from all of this, but at the same time, we're just human and bodies fail and God is still good. It's been amazing to me what people who turn to, toward God learn about themselves and about life in the storm. They find the compassion and, compare, uh, compassion and caring of God in the crisis. Or maybe a better way to put it is they seem to experience that God goes to work on the storm in them before he focuses on the storm they're in. It's as if the storm moves their main concern off of their side, their side of the story, and onto God's side. Look, if our hope is that in 2023, or even just moving forward beyond that, somehow God will spare us of every storm, that we'll never know a season of just permacrisis, then we'll be the first. So the only question is, are we ready are we cultivating and nurturing a faith in the grace of God that includes the reality that he's not only powerful, he is power, and his caring power is not incompatible with a crisis. So if we're going to move forward in 2023, if we're going to sail on with hope and joy, even with God in our boat, we should expect storms. And so as we begin this new year together, as we, as we take a deeper look at Jesus into his life, his teaching, his example, his power, his love and grace, may we do so in a way that gets us ready. Yes, sir, I am ready for 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. I certainly hope and I desperately pray that 2023 will be smooth sailing for all of us. And yet we must know that there is an other side of life, of our story, to what God is doing in us and for us and through us. And so we have to ask this question. How do we get ready for the storm? Because no matter how hard we try, no matter how much technology we have, no matter how much money we have in the bank account, there, there's just, there's no boat big enough. There's no sailor skilled enough to get through every storm of life on our own. If all growth exists outside of our comfort zone, if that is where real life is, that means that a good and loving, a compassionate, caring, gracious, and powerful, all-powerful God is going to lead us sometimes into the storm. But always, he's going to get us through it. To be ready for the storm is to trust in God's side, the other side, the side we can't see yet, and to be ready for the care and the compassion of God, even in a crisis. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place 
and this opportunity to be together. We certainly thank you that at the end of each year, you remind us that you have come to us and you have come for us. And that at the beginning of each new year, your mercies are new. God, I pray that you would infuse us with a faith, not just in your compassion and gentleness, your approachability and your availability, but your ultimate absolute power and the great shut up that you have within you for the storms around us and even in us. And I pray for this entire community that it will be, would be one of smooth sailing, but more than anything, God, we pray that your will would be done in us and through us, regardless of what the sailing is like as we go through this year together. Thank you for loving us like that. And God, we pray that as we leave, you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. So good to be here. See you soon. Somewhere in the crowd there